The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you for listening. I just wanted to start the show with saying that I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional. All content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. I want to let you know that as a trigger warning, please note that content on the podcast can include topics like mental health and suicidal ideation and talk about a lot of sensitive topics. So please know that before listening. If you are currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Hello, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, we have an amazing woman who I'm excited to have on the show, Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. The first time I met you was at Lola Retreat, which is my women and money event. Mm -hmm. And then we became Facebook friends and I started kind of cyber social stalking you. And I realized how many projects you're a part of and how many businesses (laughs) you have. And I just thought, wow, you are basically Wonder Woman and doing a lot of things. So instead of me giving a bio, I would love for you to tell my audience a little bit more about what you do. Sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for doing this. Just the connection of mental health and money is a conversation that needs to be had so much more. And I feel like it um, is not as common as it needs to be. So thank you for filling that void and stepping up into that space. Thank you. So just a little bit more about me. I'm Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott. I have been an entrepreneur for about 15 years now, Um, serial entrepreneur. I have a few different businesses, like you said, one being the Garner Circle PR. I've done PR for about a decade and a half now. And in the last few years, I opened up uh, Mount Financial Services, which is my heart And it really targets and focuses on helping underrepresented communities with money coaching and just helping to build long-term assets so that they can create generational wealth and leave legacy. And so I recognize that money talks are not as common in many households as you know, people would love to believe and then access to working with wealth managers and investment professionals and, and, and things of that nature are not generated to the masses. And so we saw a large, large group of people who still needed insight, still needed information that went a little bit further than Google that could uh, be customized and applied to their own lives and in regards to changing their money story. So that is uh, Amount Financial. I love that. And I think you are serving such an important need. And like you said, I think, you know, there's some cursory information on Google, but for the masses, financial education is just not available and especially customized financial education and kind of long-term planning. And I think that's so important what you're doing. And you know that kind of brings me to your next project, your newest project that I heard about a few months ago that I was so intrigued about. And that is your Legacy or Lose project. I would love to hear a little bit more about what your goal is with Legacy or Lose and why is it important right now in this moment? Yes, yes, definitely. Thank you for bringing that up. So I uh, partnered with a young lady by the name of Arian Simone. 
she is a African-American woman in the venture capitalist space. So she is one of very few. And she has really done great deeds with launching a, a fund and just really being able to give funding to startups that typically get overlooked. Um, myself, I've been in the financial space from money culture perspective, and then also through our digital membership, where we're just really building a national tribe of women who are looking for very detailed resources on how to approach their money plans. And so the two of us came together, we both were um, made aware of a statistic that the Brookings Institute put out not too long ago in regards to if financial trends continue the, the way that they're going, that in 2053, the Black family wealth would be at zero dollars. And so, Oof. yes. And so we saw those and we saw it in, in small places, you know, uh, African-American targeted publications picked up the story, but it didn't cross over into mass mass media or mass appeal. And so given both of us had the backgrounds of marketing and PR and whatnot, we wanted to take our resources and help amplify that messaging. And taking it a step further, my company, we've been a part of a very deep report that's coming out soon in regards to how that number has escalated and the racial wealth gap has escalated in the last uh, last few months, just in regards to the pandemic and what's transpiring from that. So whereas the numbers were very drastic before then, 2020 has exasperated those numbers at an exponential level. And it's just not making headlines. It's not being talked about. Um, actually, CNN did do a really good piece the other day in regards to that. And so I definitely applaud them taking that deeper step. But it's still, uh, it, it's so much going on in society that that conversation is still very minimal. And so we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to remind people of the purpose of putting your legacy in place. We did a piece the other day, some of our internal teachings at Amount Financial, but just, you know, a lot of people are losing their lives during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the proper paperwork in place, then not only are you, you losing your life, but you're losing your legacy on top of that. So if you don't have your will in place, if you've done no estate planning, if you know you didn't have a trust, if that's what you wanted, if you didn't properly leave any information for that next generation, then all that hard work and going to work every day and, and building up a life just kind of disappears or it gets turned over to the state or outside entities and it and your wishes aren't really granted upon that. So we've been just making sure that in a lot of black and brown communities that those estate planning documents are there and reminding communities across the board how important it is to not take these things for granted. Uh, culturally, you know, many of us have thought that you get a will or you start to talk about a will once you become a senior citizen or, you know, later on in life, or there's a lot of cultural trauma that is processed with a lot of the long-term, um, long-term planning, you know, it's just being spooked or 
not wanting to wish anything bad upon people. But in this day and age, those things are are mandatory. Those conversations, those due diligence is just mandatory to to not widen that gap any further. Yeah, I love what you're doing to really highlight this racial wealth gap, which I was familiar with, but I didn't know the statistic that you mentioned about 2053, you know, having zero dollars. And I'm so sad in that, of course, this is a statistic that has kind of not really hit the masses, as you said. And I think especially right now with the pandemic, headlines are just turning out every second of the day. Things are changing almost every hour. And it's so easy for stuff like this to get lost in the shuffle. But I think you started this Legacy or Lewis project because you saw this incredible wealth gap Mm -hmm. for Black and Brown communities, as you said. And then it's like now we're seeing all of this incredible racial injustice and so many things that we're having to face head on for everyone. And I think your project has a special importance right now because it's like, yeah, we need to think about how much we're making. We need to think about how much we're saving. We need to think about, like you said, a a legacy, looking at things generationally and not just my immediately self or my immediate family. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And You know, just to tie it back into your commitment to talking about the mental health aspect of it. And I even feel like in the the personal finance communities, which is why I've been so passionate about showing up, is there are a lot of mental health triggers that have cultural associations to them, right? Cultural sensitivities that may have not been thought of before. So I tell this story about how a few years ago, when I really really got bit by the bug when I really felt the calling. I was going to a lot of personal finance conventions and conferences and things of that nature. And I went to one and a young lady stood up and she was just really almost in tears and saying that her mother had a pretty toxic relationship. Her mom only called her when she needed money. And the financial guru just responded just very callously, you know, to just cut your mother off, like just just cut her off. Don't be bothered with it anymore. And I just remember sitting there in shock and saying, hey, you know, if if you happen to have grown up in a communal environment, if you have grown up where you are taught from birth that you're always supposed to do those things, then it's way deeper from a, a mental connection and a mental trauma is being opened in those moments. And so I remember finding her afterwards and saying, hey, this is deeper than just a transactional occurrence with your mother. This is something that you might want to really explore counseling, tying in therapy into it because the roles of the relationship have taken a toxic turn. And it's the money is just the symptom of a deeper issue that's there. And so you have to ask the right person to get the right answer. You have to take this outside of just it being a money level and taking it deeper into a therapy uh, level because there is so much attached to that. I'm typically brought into a lot of corporations because a lot of a lot of their immigrant employee base and some of their just minority employee base overall deal with a lot of survivor's remorse, them being the first ones in their family, the first generation to hit the level of six figures and above. So you have these high powered individuals who 
are basically giving away over 60 and 70 percent of their paychecks back to their family because of that level of survivor remorse. If your parents picked up and relocated here from another country and gave everything that they could, or if your mom was a single mom and she worked 10 jobs to put you through college to get you to where you are, then you know, you're coming from a space of wanting to mentally fill that void. You feel like you owe them for the rest of your life. And so I do a lot of training in in that space too, but that's why I just was really excited about your podcast and really excited that you are showing that you can't talk about money without talking about the mental implications that's connected to it. Yeah. I think we have to discuss money and mental health, because in my opinion, they are inextricably linked. And I'm so glad you mentioned kind of these racial and cultural triggers. I think personal finance is way more nuanced than we give it credit for. And, you know, I'm a personal finance writer. That's how I pay a lot of my bills. And I kind of have to write very generically about money. And I'll be the first to admit, it's for a pretty generic, probably middle-class audience. But as a personal finance writer, kind of writing to the masses, so to speak, I can't, you know, give out individualized advice. But, you know, something that I've learned with Lola Retreat in particular is just how nuanced financial advice needs to be and also how we do need to consider different races, different cultures and financial advice. And, you know, I think your example was perfect. Like, oh, why are you giving money to your mom? Just cut her off. And it's like, okay, that's easy for a financial expert to say, because that's like the right thing that you should do with your finances. But like, that's just not the way a lot of people live. And so, you know, at Lola Retreat Seattle last year, we had Cassandra Dacent, who did a whole thing about women and money and relationships and money and really talked about the black tax and having to pay more money to family members and kind of what you talked about, this kind of survivor's guilt of earning more and kind of getting away from that. And then we had a whole panel on single fire. So fire is financially independent, retire early. And so we had this whole panel on like, how can you be a single woman and also pursue fire? Because a lot of the people in fire happen to be married. They're married to someone making several six figures. And so it's kind of a different situation. So I wanted to have a different perspective. And Michelle Jackson brought up something so important. And I'll just completely admit my white privilege here. She was like, when I'm looking at my fire number, I'm accounting for helping my mom out with that number. And I was like, that is like, so interesting and important to me. And I think something that a lot of people in personal finance, they're not considering that level of nuance when it comes to different cultures, different races. And like, that just opened up a firestorm of conversation of like, People saying, yeah, we have this responsibility to my mom. We have this responsibility to my dad. This is what's expected in my family. And it was just an entire conversation that I personally hadn't thought of before. And like I said, that's totally my white privilege. And I was just so happy to get my eyes open to that and be like, these are the conversations that we need to be having. Like someone that wants to retire early, they're adding additional money to support other family members. And it's not our place to judge like whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing. Like that is just a thing in different cultures. And I think in personal finance, we need to acknowledge that different cultures, different races have different ways that they relate to each other. And that standard personal finance advice isn't going to work. That's what makes 
um, now so important to the conversations happening? Because many times we all have different privileges that we operate in and they have been since birth. So we don't even recognize them for the privilege that they are um, until you open up your conversation piece and you're talking with someone and you're like, oh, wow, like I, I didn't even think about it in that manner or that way. And I want to do whatever I can to continue the conversation going. And I'm glad that you're keeping this on your platform too, just to keep the conversation going, because I think that the conversations were happening in silos, right? That if you were to go to personal finance events and it was very general market, it would be this conversation happening. And then if you went to a African-American finance event, it would be these conversations happening. And so in that circle, it felt like we're having these conversations, but they're not happening in a multitude of ways so that there could be collective uplift amongst what's transpiring. So I just feel like that's so important that this communication is not, you know how they're saying is it's not just a moment, it's a, a movement, it's continuous yes. and it lasts way past this. I saw, um, I saw a meme the other day that said the news cycles are starting to turn back to talking about the upcoming hurricanes and those things. And so, you know, what can we do to make sure that this conversation doesn't die prematurely? And so I think it's up to, to all of us, not even just, you know, people might say, well, Melanie's in the finance space. She can continue talking about this. But I mean, if you're having conversations in your home, if you're having conversations with family members, if you're having conversations in your communities, all of those conversations are important, not just not just the podcast, not just the the television show, but just all across the board, continuously challenging the norm and reminding everyone of, of the severity of this. And then even bringing mental health continuously to the forefront too. I feel like 2020 is all my money coach clients that are in the therapy space or the mental health space. This is going to be their highest profiting year because- they wow. are they're full. Like they are yeah. full. I mean, this was too much. The the year was too much for anyone to handle. And so any therapist client I have right now, like their profit margins are just astronomical because the world is like, I need help, you know. And the key is to keep this type of help front and center, keep the talks about mental health front and center so you don't wait till you crash, right? You start to build up your own mental toolkit so you can handle these types of things better. And so as we talk about building our financial toolkit, having your emergency savings fund, building up your portfolios, um, being prepared for the economy when recessions do come, because we're in full-blown recession now, and in another few years, there'll be another recession. That's just the cycle of the economy. When you build up that toolkit, you have to also build up the mental toolkit to be able to handle that, right? You know, so many people saw that the stock market was crashing and pulled their money out had they had mentally been prepared and sat on it for one more month <laughs> then yeah. you know they would be in completely different spaces you know it's just seeing it and and then by next month it might crash again and you have to be mentally prepared to to stick with your gut through all of this too yeah, I think it's really important that now, as you said, it's not just a moment, it's a movement. And I think we have to have those conversations front and center, everyone, and especially white people in particular. Like I've said before, like 
people of color are not going to fix racism. Women are not going to fix misogyny. You know, it's the people that are the oppressors that need to have the conversations with people and call out microaggressions and open up their minds to different types of learning. And, you know, I think to your point, like, yeah, we need to really focus on mental health and mental wellness and really having that mental fortitude. And I, I agree, 2020 is something that nobody could have predicted expected or mm-hmm. dealt with or predicted and mm-hmm. I know my therapy sessions are certainly different every week and mm-hmm. I'm super grateful to have that as as an option for me and so you know I wanted to talk to you about like what are the barriers that communities of color are facing when it comes to both building wealth and managing their mental health yeah definitely so some of the barriers that we talk about that just contribute to the overall wealth gap is it starts in a multitude of ways, right? So a lot of it is systematic. And so even just eradicating the myth of, you know, you could just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can just go out there and make something of yourself, or you could just go out there and work is not taking into account all the things that exist in this world that won't allow for that to happen. And so just in regards to naming a few examples, so I talk about redlining a lot, which is still very prominent to this day. And that really taps into just real estate, being able to put yourself in a in a, a more progressive community, or if you choose to be in a, you know an all black community, your property value is significantly marked down less than what it is in like a general market community you know, being able to qualify for funding, being able to get approved, just so many practices are not, were not allowed for communities of color. So understanding those things, understanding the labor market right now too. So um, the, I believe it's the New York Times or Forbes, I need to go back and check, but they just talked about how Black women are bearing the brunt of the recession. So there are, you know, millions across America that are being laid off, but it is a complete difference when you are being laid off and you have over a hundred thousand in savings and you have, you know, all these things in place and then being laid off and you're having to figure out life. They even, you know, they talked about just how the pandemic, when everyone had to slow down and work from home, how some people, that was a vacation. It was, you know, you would listen to the stories online and it's like, hey, this is a good chance for us to catch up on Netflix and relax. And then other people were trying to figure out how they were going to actually feed their families and keep a roof over their head. So even understanding those pieces, also understanding uh, even if you have wealth, the level of access that comes with it too. So Many people were very much prepared for this recession that was going to happen because they have the proper wealth managers and they have the proper insight to alert them of what was transpiring, right? So I'm in the financial space, you're in the financial space. We knew the recession was coming. We didn't know the COVID-19. The severity, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we didn't know. Put a pandemic right there. Right. Drop that in for a little fun. (laughs) We didn't know that. We didn't know the magnitude of that. But I mean, myself, my husband, we have, you know, we operate knowing the cycle of the economy, but we have access to that knowledge and we have professionals around us that help guide us through those moments. But you have plenty of people who, who have some level of wealth, but they don't have 
they're not surrounded or are granted that access to be able to make some of those higher level decisions that keep travesty from implementing uh, their lives. So taking all those things into account is just very crucial. And it it has to be more than, you know, you just need to have discipline. Discipline is, is a, is a, a a mystical option, you know, I I mean, of course you, you direct where you want your money to go and you direct how you want your life to play out. But there are so many other things that are part of that final destination or even that journey that has to be accounted for. And, you know, I was uh, reading a book the other day that just really talked about how many generations, you know, that first generation might achieve wealth, but in many marginalized communities, it never makes it to the second generation. There's no Rockefellers or, you know, those individuals where you see generation upon generation upon generation having that amount of money. So even, you know, what can be done, (laughs) there is a, in my um, membership groups, someone posted, I I always refer to memes because that's just the way millennials and we all talk Um, now, but there was a meme posted where a young lady was a first time home buyer and her lender suggested, you know, why don't you just ask your family for the $100,000 or (laughs) $50,000 down payment? And it was like, that's pretty common here. You know, like most people just get that from their family member. Can't you just ask your family for that? And she was like, wow, like that is the that is the gap that we, you know, that we, we're not yeah. seeing. Wow. Yeah. Like that is not our experience Correct. at all. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I think to your point, like it's really important for us to realize that not everyone has the same access point and not everyone has the same privileges and network and education. And so much of it relates back to context, you know, like even with my own personal debt payoff story, like I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. I obviously wrote it on my blog, Dear Debt. And a lot of people say, like, I'm so inspired by your debt payoff story. And, you know, I see a lot of personal finance bloggers kind of have this idea of like, well, I did it. So can you. And I've always kind of shied away from that because it's like the context of it matters so much. You know, at that point, I was living in Portland, Oregon sharing a studio apartment with my then partner paying $400. That's a huge reason why I was able to pay off that debt. I didn't have a car. I was on food stamps briefly. I didn't have children. Um, You know, there are many different factors that contributed to me paying off that debt. And it's like, I live in Los Angeles now. If I lived in even Los Angeles while I did that, I would not have paid it off nearly as quickly. And I think it's really important to realize that personal finance is not apples to apples. You can't ever compare two different situations. And I think, especially when we're talking about race and culture, when the access points are not the same, the starting line is not the same. So we should not compare at all. And especially just, you know, the general statistic is many people don't have $400 in savings. So there's this whole kind of already financial crisis in, in savings in general and to your legacy and lose project, it's even worse, you know, with savings and generational wealth. And I love what you're doing to really kind of transform that narrative and build generational wealth. And that's 
such a wild point where, you know, oh, just ask your parents for a down payment. I mean, <laughs> that's not what happens in, in my world either, but it's just, you know, you see this chasm of like, this is what this community thinks is normal. And this is what this community is like, wait, that even happens? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Right. No wonder why I'm over here wondering how to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's good. I feel like in the reverse, it's good to have those conversations too. So communities that aren't privileged to that, that can start to dig deep and be like, okay, these are things we should be discussing as well. That, I mean, that was even my introduction. It was when I was in college, one of my roommates, I went home with her for a spring break and she came from a very wealthy family. They were talking about the family estate. They, um, before we hopped on the road to go back to school, they wanted her to stop by the wealth manager to have some talks and update things. And I was like, what is all of this? Like, what are you, you know, what are, what are these different things? But that exposure started me on a journey of figuring out, okay, there's different levels to money that I need to know about so I can put my family in a better predicament. So I feel like the reverse has to happen too. What is not being available in the money space, but then also when you are wealthy, it's really, I read so many, um, billionaires documentaries and their books and things. And I remember watching that show uh, Billions and just starting to make sure you're exposed to a lot of things that you may not have grown up in your household. And and then you make it more real in your life too. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I love what you're doing to, to play that part and, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit. I wanted to kind of talk about wellness. And whenever I see you on social media, you're always talking kind of about wellness and taking care of your peace. And we're living in incredibly challenging times for everyone. Recently, there has been so much racial injustice and horrifying murders that should just not be happening that are traumatizing. And so how, as a Black woman and a mother, how are you finding peace and joy and And letting that lead you during these times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, first off, I had to severely limit social media consumption. Yes. um, To see the killings repeatedly up and down your timeline will affect anyone's mental health. And the consumption of that will shake anyone's peace. And so I had to make a conscious effort to figure out how I was going to digest my news, but it was not going to be on all day long. And that that started with the pandemic. I was like, you know, if I keep the news on all day long, I'm just going to run out of the house into the world like <laughs> and drop on my knees. Like what's yeah. going on here? And then adding to that, the, the civil unjust, and, and that is extremely traumatic. You know, it was to a point where I had to just take personal days. I had to send a message out to clients that we were just closed for a few days and we would get back to them as soon as possible, but I couldn't move. I couldn't function because it starts to be, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is still happening. We're still here. It's another hashtag. It's those things, they impact your soul. And so I had to, I I like to say that my business is my activism, right? And me showing up for my community and me showing up for women and me showing up for my family is a part of how I display my activism. And so I had to 
pull from areas of how to restore myself so that I can show up and so that I can show up healed. And so I do a lot of things. I do yoga. I do prayer. I do surrounding myself around a tribe of individuals that want to see progression and not operate from a victimized standpoint, but what are solutions? What are, you know, how are we more solution oriented? I take time when I need time. I put a a screen time tracker on my phone. And once I hit that moment, then I stand true to that. And then having a child, you know, I have a toddler, he's two years old and I'm just always conscious of what can I do to make sure the world is better by the time he has to start dealing with these different things? And so that keeps me very driven like, and very committed to making sure that I, my stamp into the space as far as making it a better place. And I feel like joy is a superpower, right? Like during this time, if you can find joy, if you can find your peace during this time, then it gives you a superpower to keep going. When you look back at the civil rights movement, self-care and mental health was not prioritized. And many of our great leaders, they burned out. Like it was just, just burnout. You can only deal with this so much before it's like you start to lose hope or you start to lose sanity in the process and you burn out. I feel like this go around, there's more emphasis placed on mental health and the mental health community is uniting across the board from all races and all ethnicities are uniting very strongly in what's transpiring. And that is joy too. recognize that this is not just one group's issue, that this is a global issue. And to feel seen and to feel heard is always a part of my joy as well. I love that. And I think I'll always remember that line, joy is a superpower. And I think especially right now, it it is a superpower. And you could wear that as like a healing shield to everything that is going on. And I think right now it is so easy to succumb to depression and anxiety and hopelessness. And yeah, I think it's on us to set those boundaries. And similarly to you, like at the beginning of the pandemic, initially I found myself doom scrolling like for hours and hours a day and I just couldn't look away. And it was like, I was addicted to reading every single article. And then I would wonder why I was getting into a tizzy about to have an anxiety attack and why I didn't get any work done. And then I took Facebook off my phone. Mm -hmm. I took Twitter off my phone. I still have Instagram because mostly it's just pictures. But, you know, I took off those two and my mental health was much better after that. And then I also do the same thing where I block my social media for a certain amount of time. And yeah, whenever I notice myself kind of like, oh, okay, like I'm getting a little triggered or a little anxious, like now's the time to step back. And I love what you said about when I need time, I give myself time. And I think that's such an important lesson. And I'm sure you know this as an entrepreneur, it's so easy to just keep working and working and working. And there's this hustle culture. And like when you're a business owner, it's like you feel like you should be working 24 seven, but nobody can do that. And it's like, if you are empty, you're not available to give anybody anything. And so, yeah, taking that time for yourself allows you to help others. And in that way, it is a revolutionary act. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So true. So true. I love that. So tell me a little bit more about your own mental and financial wellness evolution. Like what has it looked like for you? So in the beginning, I had to do a lot of healing. Uh, I didn't have the best relationship with money growing up, you know, in our household, 
money symbolized lack or it's it symbolized always getting the, in the way of things that I wanted. Like you, you know, your your child brain continues to play those stories until your adult years. So I had to do a lot of healing with that. And also, you know, I grew up in a community where frugalness was rewarded, but there comes a time where frugalness starts to infringe upon your quality of life, right? So there's a difference between being frugal and with regard and there's frugalness that, you know, you just want the cheapest thing out there. And you end up spending so much more money because of it. You get the cheapest car, but by the time you've had it repaired five times, you could have got a brand new car or you get the the cheapest pair of shoes. And by the time you wear them one or two times, you can't even wear them anymore. So during my college years, once I really started to get exposed to different things, I had to start with just realigning my relationship with money and understanding it better and having a much more positive inference when it comes to that. Two, uh, I had to get into a space of being very comfortable with talking about money. And that really started with even within my own family. You know, I wanted to get to a space where I felt very free talking about it and then getting my family to that space of being very free with talking about it. So those are some things that I had to do. And then just taking deeper, deeper dives into the education piece. You know, by the time I realized I wanted to step out and help my community and help individuals who weren't getting help, then I wanted to be more than just a talking head. I wanted to have the education and the formality to really help move the needle. And I felt like my perspective could be incorporated into that because I came from very humble beginnings. And so when you have that knowledge, then you understand many of the mindsets and things. But yeah, just just being able to get more formal training helped with my own confidence in this space of feeling like I could really truly help people. And it's so rewarding to sit and help a client and you see the light bulb go off or you see, you know, some small changes that lead to big level impact. And it it gives me a feeling of purpose with a lot and, and impact with a lot of the things that I'm doing. So um, so yeah, I just had to really really address some of those traumas surrounding money, heal from those, be very direct about it, understand my money love language. Like even in my marriage, me and my husband had to figure those things out too, you know, like on paper and like when we <laughs> yeah. went to premarital counseling, we I thought we were on the same page about money. And then on the other side of the altar, you start realizing there's so many things that you wouldn't know until you have to make those decisions together. So even we had to revisit those conversations quite a few times in our marriage and we get stronger each time because of it. Yeah. And I think to that point, your evolution with money and mental health is never quite over. You know, there's this kind of idea that like, if you do enough work, then you'll be healed and then you'll be better and you'll be perfect. And it's like your mental health and your financial wellness, you know, every time you reach a certain level, then the marker has moved again. And the marker has moved again. And, you know, you keep just going into the next level and the next level. And it sounds like you've had a lot of evolution from, you know, these humble beginnings to having purpose and impact in your business to working on money within your marriage. And I think you are doing so much good for both yourself and your community. And you're so inspiring. Thank you. And so I wanted to end the show with what suggestions would you give to anyone to find financial and mental health? 
piece? I think one, um, really sitting down and having that internal perspective so you can really identify if some of your issues might need deeper level assistance, right? So if you really have those talks with yourself and you you find yourself overspending, what is the deeper root analysis of that? And when you start to explore that, then you you can say, okay, this would be something good for me to talk to my therapist about. More so than me just going on Google and Googling what's a better budget app. You can have the best app in the world or the best software in the world, but it might delve into more of a mental trigger that's that's transpiring. So, you know, you start to recognize those things and either bring that up with your current therapist or know that there's opportunity for therapy. I also think too that it's good to find money coaches, personal finance experts, things of that nature that can relate to your story. Many people want to find therapists that have an understanding of their dynamic you should do the same with some of your financial professionals because they can because so many things are tied into money. Money is is energy. Currency is energy. Yes. And so, you know, someone understands your dynamics more than they can help more in those realms. So also too, the company you keep, putting yourself around a tribe of individuals that are on the same journey as you, that helps a lot. If you just paid off your house and you have a group of people celebrating that then that feels so good rather than you announcing you paid off your house and everyone's like, oh, so? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I, like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, like, so <laughs> Wish good. I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> you can pay off mine. You know, like, you want to surround yourself with people, that, that positive feedback and that encouragement and that accountability does a lot for your mental health. The same way you see it in other areas of your life, when you're trying to get healthy or lose weight, the company you keep matters. When you are trying to reach other levels in your life, professional goals, the company you keep matters. And so it's, it's the same with money. Yeah. And when you try to reach those next levels and, you know, do hard things like pay off debt and lose weight or stop doing something that's not good for you, like those people that weren't good for you in reaching those goals, they will become apparent very quickly. And you'll know who are the right people that should be in your life to help support your goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a wonderful interview and I really appreciate your perspective. So where can people find you? Yes. Well, um, once again, Dr. Nicole Garner Scott, the name of my company is Amount Financial. Our website is amount, A-M-O-U-N-T, financial.com. And then at Amount Financial on all social media platforms. My personal social media handle is Dr. Garner Scott, D-R-G-A-R-N-E-R Scott. If you're interested in hearing more about Legacy or Lose, you can go to LegacyOrLose.com. And then also too, for those of you, the parents that are homeschooling and kind of working your way through this, we're launching a, a nonprofit that is targeting financial literacy programs for, for our youth. So we have plenty of summer. Love it. Thank you. We have plenty of summer programs coming up to help you. Cause I know that it's getting hard and your children are being, you know, bored and how much YouTube university can they do? So we have <laughs> a ton of programs coming out this summer. So you could just go to amountfinancial.com to learn more about that too. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank and you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. And if you want to know anything about me, just feel free to email me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can also connect with me at melanielockert.com or mentalhealthandwealth.com. We will be releasing this podcast every other week on Friday. So definitely stay tuned for some other exciting episodes coming your way. I would love for you to go to mentalhealthandwealth.com and check out our content, sign up for our newsletter. And if you like the show, feel free to subscribe and review. Thank you so much.